This morning, we're going to continue our study through the Psalms. The Psalms are such an important book in times like this. In fact, any time you're going through a struggle of deep distress, the Psalms are one of the places we should run to quickly because they offer us so much hope. Every emotion that is known to man, so many experiences that are common to man are recorded in the Psalms. But it's not just the common experience that brings such encouragement. It's also the fact that the Psalms are very practical. They offer us help in that they tell us often what to do. Psalm 40 is the psalm that we're going to be looking at this morning. And as David writes this psalm, he speaks of a past deliverance, a present deliverance in seeing the goodness of God, but then also of a future deliverance. As he shares this psalm with us, we are drawn to deep encouragement, especially in the first few verses, of how we should seek to apply the word of God. I'm going to read from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5, verses 11 and 12, and verses 16 and 17. Please stand for the reading of God's word. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Now from 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to have your word. Here in this sanctuary, where others are sitting even now, we have your word. We pray your word. We ask indeed that you would deliver us today, that you would come speedily, that you, Holy Father, would reveal to us your will for us at this time, and that we would see your efforts in making us secure on solid ground. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts and minds to believe the truth that we are about to hear. No matter what might be distracting us at this moment, bring your voice that we might be transformed, unable to stop speaking about the things that we have seen and heard even this day. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, do you feel stuck? That question could have been asked to any of us a 
a few weeks ago, a little over a month ago? And the answer would probably have been yes, that there was something in your life, whether it was at work or home, whether it was in a relationship or in your own walk with the Lord, where you felt somewhat stuck. But the answer to that question today is likely very different than it was just a few weeks ago. Do you feel stuck? There's no question that the answer is yes. And the reason you feel stuck, the reason we feel stuck, is because we are. David gives us a beautiful psalm that reveals to us that life this side of heaven is a life of being stuck in pits and miry bogs. It's a life where we're going to experience the deliverance from being stuck in the past, a deliverance of being stuck in the present, but also the promise of a future deliverance. Whenever we get stuck, most of the time, we seek to exercise every ability we have, all of our resources to try to free ourselves from whatever miry bog, whatever pit of despair or destruction that might be present. I've told this story before, but I think it's worth repeating. When we first moved to Dallas, John and Diane Hawkins uh, gave us a key to their ranch and to their four by four truck. They said, you can use the ranch anytime you want. Our very first trip will always be unforgettable because it was the time in which I took the truck. I took my children, only three at the time. They were two, four, and six. And we drove all over their property in that four by four, mostly staying on paved roads. But near the end of the week, it was spring break. I decided to venture off the path that was worn and smooth and secure and decided to take the truck down the backside of a hill not realizing that it was the backside of the dam, which also had a leak. In just a few minutes, the truck was buried. It was stuck. I don't mean a little stuck. I mean buried with mud up to the middle of the doors. I immediately panicked and thought of how I would explain myself to John. I was embarrassed and didn't want to do that. So I took matters into my own hands. I got boards out to put under the tires. When that didn't work, I went and got my own Suburban, which is not a four by four, and tried to pull it out. It was already raining as well, so it was a mess. I exhausted every possible resource I had, except for one, and that was an offering of my wife, that she said, why don't you call AAA? I had no idea that AAA would respond the way they did, but they did. They came to John's ranch, about a hundred yards away from where I was stuck, they parked their big tow truck. They knew they couldn't get any closer without getting stuck themselves. And they tied cable after cable or hooked cable after cable together and then winched this truck way, way away from where it was stuck. But one pit tends to give birth to another. And the pit that was actually more destructive in my life was the fear of man. So I wanted to do everything I could to keep this from John. And so the next day, I drove the truck into the little town of Meridian to the small car wash and began to spray off all the mud. It no longer looked like a farm truck. It looked like a truck on a showroom floor. But there was one problem. My wife, she said, you've got to tell John something could really be wrong with the truck or with the land that you so screwed up. Well, I told John and he laughed and continues to mock me this day. But the point of the story is to show how foolish we are when we get stuck. 
Instead of crying out for help immediately, we so quickly run to the resources that we have. Even when they are exhausted, so often we continue to try and free ourselves. David brings us such encouragement because he's stuck. And the encouragement is that even kings get stuck. Even kings who are after God's own heart. But it's not the common experience that brings such encouragement. It's what David tells us he did. And what he did is what we must do in a moment like this. Indeed, always. Look with me again at verse 1. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. David was in a pit of destruction. We don't know exactly what this specific pit was, but we do know that that's the way he describes his life in this moment. The first thing I want you to note, though, is he says, I waited patiently. This is in the past tense. David is talking about an experience that he has already been delivered from. In the past tense, he is speaking about the way in which God has been faithful. And because God has been faithful in the past, he is waiting patiently for the Lord to deliver him again. The word, I waited patiently, is really important to understand. It seems like he's saying, I waited passively, but that's not at all what the Hebrew means. In fact, in the Hebrew, it says, I waited, waited. What he's saying is that the waiting upon the Lord is not passive. It's an intense waiting. It's a waiting of expectation, a waiting of longing and crying for God to move, trusting that he will. It is not a passive waiting of a contemplative exercise where you're just simply waiting and doing nothing. It is an active pursuit of the Lord for his will and his way. To understand how this psalm can apply to us, I want to begin by looking at the various pits of destruction that David throughout his life found himself in. As you think about David's life and David's pits, I wonder what the first thing is that comes to your mind. For me, I quickly go to the story of Bathsheba and her husband Uriah the Hittite. David's pit of sin is very clear and very abundant. In fact, even in Psalm 40, he speaks in verse 12, the second part about his iniquities. He says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Well, certainly David in his own sin found himself in a profound pit of destruction. The pit of destruction in this reference was the pit on his roof, where he went up on the roof when all kings are supposed to go to war. And there he saw in his vision something he did not need to fix his eyes on, but he did. And there began the sin that began to destroy so many significant things. One pit leads to another. And before long, he has committed adultery with this woman. She has become pregnant. And now he's going to have her husband killed. David's pit of sin brought about horrendous destruction. And then he cries to the Lord when confronted by his friend. 
and repents of his sin. Another pit of destruction for David is the pit of conflict. Throughout his life, he was in conflict. He had conflict with animals as he was a shepherd protecting the sheep. He had conflict with his brothers as he was courageous enough to fight the giant Goliath. He had conflict with Saul who watched that battle, but later himself would seek to kill David. David was a man often in the pit of conflict. The conflicts were in his family, in his leadership, and often with nations at war. But there was another type of conflict that David was in, or another pit that David was in, and that was the pit of circumstances. Circumstances that are not necessarily centered on a sin that he committed, but circumstances that are born out of living in a sinful, broken world. One of the most challenging things David faced was when he was fleeing from Saul. In Psalm 52, just a few psalms ahead of the one we're looking at now, David offers a very interesting phrase about the condition of his soul. In Psalm 52, 8, he says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. The New Living Translation says that David prayed, I'm like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. That verse has become one of my favorites. But I want to speak about what he means. Thriving is not an emotion. It's a botanical term. It's a reality. David was thriving in the house of God because he was trusting in the Lord. If you simply read that verse out of context, you would think that David was in a happy place, just a a very comfortable season of life. But that's not the context at all. If you look at where this comes from, David from 1 Samuel 22 has just received news that Doeg, the Edomite, had just killed 80 priests. He had gone into a village where the priests were and not only wiped them out, but he also wiped out their children, the animals, all the family. First Samuel 22 carries the story. And this is how it goes. The king, that Saul, said, You shall surely die to Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he had fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons, all priests. And the city of the priest he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But there was one who escaped, one of the sons of Ahimelech, Abiathar, I'm sorry, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to him, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. What a pit. What a pit of circumstances that are horrific. But David says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. That word which he offered to that young man, 
he also offered to himself. And that's why David was able to say in Psalm 52, referencing this event, I am like an olive branch thriving in the house of God because I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. But David's circumstances didn't always put him in that type of disposition. Thriving again is more than an emotion, but David had many emotions and often there was a pit of emotions. In Psalm 42, just two away from where we are now, he cries out, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so at trouble within me? Hope in God. When we look at David's life, as he pins Psalm 40, as he speaks of the pit of destruction in the miry bog, we know that he is a man who found himself frequently in those places. And those places where he had to cry out to the Lord in trouble, trusting that he would deliver him from their, his distress. But what about us? What about our pits? In the same way we fall into these traps, into these slimy, muddy bogs, we get stuck too. First, like David, because of our own sin. There are moments when each of us turn our eyes away from what God's word says, what he wants for us. And we find ourselves in places we never thought we might be. One pit often leads to another pit. And there we find ourselves unable to rescue ourselves, unable to set ourselves free. We also live in the pit of conflict so often in relationships, even with people that we're so close to, a spouse, our children, co-workers, brothers and sisters in the church together. Along with David, it's not just conflict and sin, but it's also circumstances, the circumstances of living in a broken world. And right now is unlike anything that we have gone through together. And in this moment of this bitter circumstance, so many challenges are before us. Challenges at work and the economy, certainly challenges with health and so many who are sick and so many dying all around the world. Along with that comes fear and all sorts of anxiety and depression. There is a lot that's happening in this circumstance that can lead to a lot of different emotions. But here as the people of God, we have the promise given to us by his king, his servant, David, which tells us what to do. The Psalms are so great again for this because they don't just offer the common experience of every emotion known to man. They also tell us the way out. They tell us about the one who can pull us out. David in the first few verses of Psalm 40 gives such a profound answer to what we must do in moments like this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. In those three verses, David reveals to us five things about our deliverer. Five things about the one and only one who can deliver us from these pits of destruction. It's very easy to see first, he tells us of God's attributes and that God turns towards us. Verse one, he inclined to me. He turned towards me. Secondly, we're told through David's word that God listens to us. He turns towards us and he, the God who made us in all things, 
listens to our cries. He does more than that though. Verse two tells us that he draws us up. He lifts us up out of the pit, out of the miry bog. Then it says that he doesn't just lift us out, but he moves us to a place of secure footing, a place that is ultimately secure upon the rock, the ultimate rock being Jesus. And lastly, it says that he gives us a new song. Well, what does that mean? David is referencing the past. He is referencing what God has done for him in the past. And because of what he's done in the past, he's willing to wait, to wait upon the Lord in this present pit of destruction. God had given him new words. He had given him a new song. Many of those new songs are the Psalms that we read. Amazing Grace is not a new song, but it once was. It once was a song sung for the first time after being penned by John Newton, now a song that is so common all over the world. But it once was a new song. It was a song written by a man who had himself experienced so many pits of destruction. As a young boy, John Newton experienced the pit of a circumstance in which his mother died just before he turned seven. He experienced the conflict of moving from one place to another as others helped raise him, often in deep conflict with a woman who was very abusive to him. He certainly experienced the pit of his own sin, where he was given frequently to drunkenness and other forms of reckless living. He was a captain on a slave ship, and he was engaged in activities that were not at all pleasing to the Lord. In one of these moments, he had become so intoxicated in the middle of a storm that he was tossed overboard. In order to save his life, the captain of that ship took a harpoon and pierced him in the hip, uh, a piercing so great that he, for the rest of his life, would limp and could put his fist inside the scar where that harpoon had harpooned him. From that place, he was pulled back like the cables onto the ship. But it wasn't at that moment when he professed faith in Christ. It was the beginning of that journey. But one day in another storm, now the captain of his own ship, he would cry out to the Lord for salvation. The Lord would use this man time and time again to proclaim his holy word and to pin new songs. New songs that were born out of this deliverer's past deliverance. This delivers present deliverance. This delivers future deliverance. And his songs would remind us time and time again that there is one deliverer, our living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in order to save us, his people, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ Jesus was sent to the very earth that he himself had made. And he entered into the pit of the manger. And then the pit of a garden. A garden where he himself many times had found great peace in being with the Lord. But not this night. This night he would sweat drops of blood in this pit. And he would tell the disciples that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death but they would still sleep. He was arrested that night, and then he experienced the pit of being stuck on the cross. 
And from that place, he would cry to his father. He cried to his father the night before, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But he was not willing. It was the will of the father to crush him so that we who are his children could ultimately be delivered. He did not deliver him from that cup so that he might deliver us. Taken down from the cross which he was stuck on, he was placed in the pit of the tomb. And for three days, there Christ's body lay. Jesus Christ would be raised from the dead. That stone rolled away and out from that tomb, Christ would come. The one who now has conquered death. The one who has crushed death to death as we like to sing. He, the deliverer, has done what he was called to do and would walk upon the earth a little while longer, telling people again that he and he alone was the deliverer. As we face these very challenging, frightening, uncertain times, there are lots of voices to listen to, but there's one voice that we must hear. And that is the voice of the living God, the voice of the one who makes himself known, the voice of the one who tells us that he will bend his ear towards us, that he is listening to us, that he will lift us from this, that he is lifting us from this, and that he himself will set our feet securely and he will give us a new song. The new song that he is going to give us, I believe, is being written. And as you wait and wait upon the Lord, do so knowing that in the past, he has been faithful to deliver you. In the present, he is delivering us. And he will be faithful to deliver us again in the future. I know you feel stuck. It's because you are. Cry out to the Lord in this moment. Cry out as David did, as John Newton did, and as you have already done many times. He is faithful. Father in heaven, as we bow before you, we thank you for your holy word. We pray, Lord, that we would be like an olive branch thriving in the house of God because we too have trusted in your steadfast love. Father, for all those who are deeply struggling in the pit of destruction right now, whether it's a circumstance, a conflict, or their own sin, we pray that you would lift us out, that we would experience the power, that resurrection power of your true deliverance. We praise you for the song that we are about to sing, a song we know so well. But as we sit and listen to these words, Arise and sing along. Bless us with the truth of what this new song means. All for your glory and for our great good. We pray in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ. Amen.